Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. So next week is when there'll be a ton of people here. Is that what I'm hearing? It's not this week. It's next week. Okay. I'm good. No, that's good. I'm actually fine um, this morning, which is surprising because um, uh, building up to this, I was uh, pretty, I was doing fine, and then some friends started trying to encourage me, and it got worse. You ever have that where, like, people are trying to help? People would say, oh, I, I would tell them I'm coming to Austin this weekend. They're like, oh. So you're going to do the seminar thing that you're going to do with the parents of adolescents. And I said, no, that's, that's in September. I'm going uh, to preach. And my friends would sort of step back and go, do, do you preach? It's like, well, I hadn't thought. I teach, isn't that? And they were like, yeah, do you have sermon? And I started getting kind of worried about this until uh, I remembered that I'm the father of three grown children which means that I'm the former father of three teenage children, and nobody has better sermons than fathers of teenagers. Is that true? It's correct. So all I had to do was pull out some of my old stuff. and that. So if you'll open your Bibles, this morning's sermon is, if you don't get these grades up, you're going to work at McDonald's the rest of your life. No, sorry. Sorry. It's boys only want one thing. No, 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 no. That's… No, that's not true. Actually, it's not just fathers, right? My uh, wife is famous in her family for stopping her mother in mid-sermon and said, you should have been ordained. So I, this… Instead, no, actually, I do want to talk to you about uh, my work as a psychologist. And uh, believe it or not, I've chosen for us this morning uh, Mark chapter 4. So if you'll look at that real quick, Mark chapter 4. starting in the 35th verse. That day when evening came, He said to His disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took Him along just as He was in the boat. There were also other boats with Him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, don't you care if we drown?' He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, "'Quiet, be still.' Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, "'Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith?' They were terrified and asked each other, "'Who is this? Even the wind and the waves?' obey Him." That's a great story, uh, a story that might be lost in childhood if you learned it when you were a kid uh, for the power of the story. Sometimes when you learn something early, you lose the intensity. But here's the funny part. The, one of the reasons that I like that story, besides the power that it shows us, is that this story is just like the lives of the patients that I see in my office. And that may surprise you. But you know, in my office, People come to me when they're just sailing through life in their boat with their people, just trying to make it through, and they've come to my office because a storm has come up. Some crisis has occurred that sort of rocked their world. And because most of the patients that I see are Christians, they would also feel like or believe that Jesus is in the boat with us. But just like this, it's like, yeah, somebody said He's in the back. I don't even know where He is. Someone told me He's asleep. 
Like, what good is this? What, what difference does it make that Jesus is in our boat? And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. When you go through storms, things that you're going through, you might think about it this morning, that either you've been through some significant crises, struggles, storms, or you're going through it right now this morning, or let me guarantee you, you're going to. I don't want to be a downer, but that's, that's going to happen. And I've learned a thing or two about whether Christians' faith, having Jesus in the boat makes any difference or not. Because as a psychologist, I'd certainly try to help with the particular issue at hand, the relationship stuff, uh, struggles, and so forth. But as a Christian psychologist, part of my job would classically be considered a spiritual director. And that is kind of also encouraging, hey, how are your prayers in this struggle you're going through? Uh, Where's Jesus in there? How's God doing for you? And the funny part is you get some very different answers, and patients have taught me a lot about going through struggles. There are some that you'll ask, are you, are you even praying about that? I had a mother whose son was going through the worst possible thing. He was failing algebra. As you know, it's just horrifying. And, and, and he, he had a girl that we didn't really like. And, I, and she was so upset, just freaking out. And I, was, and I asked her, I said, are you, are you praying about this? She said, yeah. I said, does it, does it give you any peace? And she said, that's the only thing keeping me alive. I was like, okay, so great that peace is upon you. Uh, it's just, thanks. And I've had, this, I've had a man in my office a few months ago <clears throat> whose son was just recently diagnosed with a significant genetic disorder that may end his life early. I happen to know that he's married to a difficult woman, and he, and he really strives to please her. And his job had just gotten uh, where he'd basically gotten laid off again, and he was a really good worker. And I asked him, I said, how are your prayers? He said, you know, Dr. Wilkins, I used to pray almost every day, and now I don't go through an hour without praying. I need him. He floats me through, and, and it's really great. And I thought, wow. I don't even know how you do that. The difference in how Jesus makes, uh, the the difference Jesus makes in our crisis crisis moments is what I want to talk about. But first, before I get to that, I want to say a brief word about boats, that is about your relationships. And I can't believe that I have to do this, but we live in a time now where I want you to think for a minute about your major relationships. Things have changed even in the 30 years since I've been doing this. And it used to be that we kind of knew who our people were, basically through family values, your, your spouse, your kids, it, that was kind of your people. But unless you've been under a rock for the last 20 years, that's, that's changed. Uh, divorce has created a lot of dis, uh, separation, and, uh, uh, and certainly moving, people are very uh, mobile. And so, uh, who we are connected to, who we're invested in, becomes a little bit weaker. But here's the The funny part is that there's a kind of image out there of a Christian that's kind of on your own, like a jet ski Christian, just I kind of am in this relationship, and I'm going to move to Seattle and get a job here, kind of starting at this church, but got a little old, so I'm moving to that. And, and, And I can tell you one thing that you should know. When those Christians come to my office, they're often sinking, but they're not even in a storm. Those little jet skis just tump right over. You, you are made for relationship. Your life is about the people that you're connected to. 
There is no such thing as serving Jesus by yourself. As a matter of fact, the funny thing is in this story, these are, this boat is filled with first century Jewish men, and I'm telling you, they knew who their people were. Each of these men could trace their lineage to Abraham. They knew their people, and yet they were in a boat with a man who had completely challenged the way that they defined their primary relationships. It was just recent before this that Jesus had said to them, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This morning, let me just briefly uh, challenge you to think about who you're connected to in your life, who, you, who are you invested in, and also challenge you, are you willing to reconsider the primary relationship in your life based on Jesus? Are you willing to let Him redefine your primary relationships, because we'll come back to that. But it's not my major point. That was aside. So, let's get back to uh, the main point, which is uh, how Christians handle storms. A furious squall came up. Now, my understanding is that um, uh, the uh, Sea of Galilee is actually below sea level, surrounded by hills and uh, basically a situation where uh, storms kind of hold off in the, uh, in the hills or the higher uh, regions and then just flow straight down very quickly and, and without warning, which is just like life, isn't it? How many times do you go along thinking that, I think we're smooth, I think we're good now, I think we're sailing, and then the thing that you never imagined happens, you know? Uh, and, and storms are, are different uh, based on, on different, th- there's different types of storms. You may be floating along fine. A, a woman in my office had been going fine until she read a text on her husband's phone. And it was not a good thing, and it was not from anyone she had ever known before. Or the family that's rocking along, and, you know, I think our kids are in a good space until we get a phone call from the security at the store that says, you know, your daughter's down here, we need you to come talk. Those are storms that come up all of a sudden. Some crises just rumble and stay in the background for a long time before they, before they arise. There's the, the teenager that realizes, I don't have the same attraction sexually to the opposite sex like my friends. That just sits there. What am I going to do with this? The husband that once again tells himself, I'm no longer going to look at pornography. That's it. I'm done for the thousandth time. Waiting. One, it just rumbles back there. Storms of different kinds, different uh, ways that it handle. How do Christians handle this? Well, I can tell you a couple ways that Christians handle it that are basically how they mishandle it. One of the most common ways um, is that there's a still out there, believe it or not, Christians that think that faith means no more problems, kind of a storm denial. You see this in two ways. One is the guy that's telling me, well, it was going okay, and then, you know, my wife, my marriage is having trouble, and my kid's sick, and my job, I need to get on back to church. Now, it's a good thing to get back to church. But too often that guy's thinking that, boy, once I get back there, Jesus is going to make sure none of this stuff happens. Isn't that what religion's all about? It's kind of, and, and you kind of, <clears throat> you hate to break it to him, but uh, no, that's not exactly how faith works. The worst is the other kind of storm denial, which is the Christian that has put in years of dedicated service and has a, a, a kind of a subconscious but deep resentment that things should be going better for me, almost like God owes me. I'm not one of those. I'm a religious, I'm a a disciplined person, and things should go better. It's kind of a storm denial. It's strange that we still do that considering that the founder of our faith promised 
that we would have trouble. You remember? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I'll make sure it never happens to you. Oh, no, wait. Take heart. I have overcome the world. His goals in the struggles are not the same as just pushing everything back. It's not like that. It's different. Tim Keller put it like this, the basic premise of religion that if you live a good life, things will go well for you is wrong. Jesus was the most morally upright person who ever lived, yet he had a life filled with the experience of poverty, rejection, injustice, and even torture. I hope you know that this morning. There's a second closely tied to storm denial is the belief that storms are my fault. Storms are basically my responsibility. These are the Christians that when things come up, they get busy, busy fixing it. It's my job. It's, it may be something I did, but whether it is or not, it's my responsibility to make sure this thing gets better. Almost like storms is equals bad sailing, you know what I mean? And, the, and they get uh, uh, very distracted. And, and not uh, in those circumstances, it's not that God is not important to them, it's just that I'm too busy to pay attention to that stuff. How's your prayers going? Uh, uh, fine, fine. But tell me about communication in my marriage. Well, okay, but what do you feel like the Spirit is telling you, where is Jesus and all that? I, I don't know. I, I, listen, I've got to get skills. I've got to get busy. God's trying to teach me to just to make me stronger. Really? Is that to teach me how to handle stuff? Which is kind of true, except is there any comfort in Jesus being there with you? Again, I don't know. I think he's asleep in the back. I, I don't know. Storm kind of equals bad sailing. You have to consider God's purposes. In, this, in your struggles. The Gospel of John uh, says, and his disciples asked him, you remember this story where they come across a man born blind? And just as typical, they ask, you know, whose fault is this? Who caused this? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, and listen to this, this is a weird answer. It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. The purpose isn't to find out who caused this. It is actually, and believe it or not, the story of your difficulty isn't about you. Ultimately, it will be about Jesus. And knowing that is very freeing. But here's the most important point. How do we find Jesus in those troubled times? That is, how can a Christian faith make a difference in crisis. And I can tell you, after having done this for years, it really comes down to one of the main differences, and that is how you see Jesus. Basically, do you know who's in this boat with you during your crisis? You can kind of tell because the disciples blew it, but you can get a clue where they blew it, and, and we find a clue in how the disciples referred to Jesus. Do you remember? First of all, they wait till we're basically swamped, then they wake them up and they say, teacher, rabbi, don't you care that we're drowning? You know that feeling. But there's your clue, first of all, teacher? Oh, okay, so you've got a kind of a wise guy, a, a guy that'll kind of give you a little clue as to how to sail through. Is that who you think is in your boat? That's who apparently they thought was in their boat. No wonder they waited until the last minute, until they're frustrated. And, and you know that feeling, those times when I'm not sure my prayers are getting even above the ceiling. Does God even care about what's going on? And even worse, in our nation, the way we tend to think of God, He's getting smaller and smaller, kind of a God in the, in the margin. 
that, that I, I don't really think about God taking care of my career. That, that's up to me. I don't know about God taking care of my marriage. That, that's between me and my husband, me and my wife. We need to… And, and where is God in that? Was He kind of a teacher? Jesus is kind of weak or uncaring. But here's one of the main things that I want to say this morning, that I, as a psychologist it may surprise you, but knowing who Jesus is really changes everything. You're knowing who this is in your boat. A.W. Tozer, my favorite, says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. Now, I'm telling you, as a shrink, I'm telling you that's true. People that really know and have expanded their knowledge and experience of who Christ really is, it makes all the difference in the world. A teacher, a kind of a wise helper that's asleep in the back, or who? Or who is it that's really with us? My favorite part of the story, though, is that the disciples, when they woke him up, they were scared to death, right? But in this story, the disciples go from scared to death to scared out of their minds. Well, why? Well, because of what we read this morning. Jesus, you have to get this image. They woke up Jesus, and he didn't stand in the bow of the boat with his Gandalf staff and go, please stop, stop the wind. No, no, no. It was almost like a director of a movie going, what? Okay, uh, cut, cut, cut. What is the, you're like, whoa. He's in the thing, he stopped the wind just like that. A hurricane-type wind is done. But here's the even weirder part. The waves, you go from almost like a hurricane to dead calm, flat sea, just like that. That's weird. That's a guy that actually controls this stuff. And that's why they went from scared to death to terrified, scared out of their minds. Who is this that is with us in the storm? Who is it that can do that? And who it is is Jesus is Lord of the storm, and that's the thing that you have to kind of come to grips with. If you're in the midst of a struggle this morning, do you not only know that Jesus is with you, but He is Lord of your storm? There's not something that happens in your life that Jesus goes, whoa, didn't see that coming. Never. I like to picture Jesus often in the lives of my patients. He's like a guy with a clipboard and headset going, all right, storm start now. And, and he, he has a purpose for it. It's not always an easy thing, but it is never outside of his purpose. No one ever wakes up the day after their wedding and God goes, uh-oh, shouldn't have married that person, ever. He has, is there already and totally knows. And when you don't really understand this, I can tell you, when you get to a storm, you will be scared to death. You'd do better to be scared out of your mind that this God is in here this morning, breathing through us and in us, and He is Lord of your storm. Nothing has happened outside of, of His knowledge. The writer of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, puts it like this, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as His children. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. 
Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline, by the way, is not primarily punishment. Discipline, like, like shaving off the edges. He's not mad in the sense of, I, I reject you. It's discipline of a father to a child. No, no. Listen, look here, look over here, eyes on me. That kind of discipline. It's because of care. It's a pur- there's a purpose in it for you and for your betterment. That's why these storms come, that there is a, a purpose in it. You remember the, the book of Job? Nobody went through more hardship than Job. He lost everything. And at the end of it all, and he wrestled with God. And do you remember what he says at the end? He said, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job finished going, this is amazing. I knew of you, but now I can really see you. His trial, his storm, worse than you and I would ever go through, put him there to where he can see God in a way that he never could have before. So how do we do this? Well, I have a few suggestions in how to find Jesus in your storm. Um, because I've, I've seen patients try to go through different things, and, and how does it, how do you, what can you do to make it real? Now, the first one may surprise you, but I can get away with this because I'm a shrink. Christ is found in the present moment. Now, that may seem like a weird thing for me to tell you, but the human mind is an interesting thing. You have the capacity, and, and probably has been going on in this room already, to physically be in a place, but your mind is far away. Most of the time, our brains go to a future that we have no control over, You ever notice that you can fear things that are mutually exclusive? You can fear dying in an airplane crash, but what if I dwindle years and years and years as an old age? Well, you can't have both, but we can fear both. We can make stuff up in our head and fear things that we can multiply our fears, and all of which is not reality. You are actually here on August 16th in this auditorium this morning right now. Do you know that you're here? Do you know that people can, t- can take much time regretting a past that you can't do anything about? You ever go through those moments where you're, if I'd only, I, yeah, but you didn't, and it's done, and you're not there, you're here, but our minds go elsewhere. I just spent a few minutes in a quiet room before coming here and was really aware of how hard it was to keep my mind into the room where I was. I was up here now, but that was back then, I wasn't. Do you follow what I'm saying? This guy's, what is, What? The trick, however, is to know, is to be able to find God. The psalmist said this, be still and know that I am God. I would uh, submit to you that in the years of working with my patients that we have a great deal of difficulty being still, internally being still. We have screens that will take us to a place literally every moment if you want and never be where you are. If you don't know what I'm talking about, ask your wife when you pull out your phone. Wives are like, what are you looking at? Why are you do-? It's like you can tell you're, you're gone now. You're, you're, you're separated from, from this place. A.W. Tozer, again, said this. He put it best. The words, be still and know that I am God, mean next to nothing to the self-confident, bustling worshiper in this middle period of the 20th century. Only funny, you just want to uh, tell Tozer, gee, you were more right than you ever knew. He's talking about 1950. Are you kidding me? Bustling, busy. So to find God, you have to be in the same, you have to be in this place and make your heart still as a preparation for prayer. 
Henry Nouwen said that he emphasized the same thing. God is a God of the present and reveals to those who are willing to listen carefully to the moment in which they live the steps they are to take toward the future. So, we're going to take two minutes to do a thing. It's not weird, trust me, not Buddhist or bizarre. But if you have something in your hands, would you, if you wouldn't mind, take, uh, empty your hands and put your hands uh, kind of in your lap or get comfortable just for a moment. You don't have to do this, no, no pressure. But just take a moment, get settled, comfortable, feet on the floor, and just real quickly take in a deep breath, it's loud enough for people to hear it, through your nose and out through your mouth. Good. And now just keep breathing. And what we're going to do is take one minute, and I want you to take one minute to simply focus on your breathing, which is the reality that you know. You are in this room. It is Sunday morning, and you are in this room, and you are breathing. So when you're ready, keep thinking about your breathing. Close your eyes. Briefly scan down from the top of your head to your toes. Check in with your own body. How do you feel? Is anything hurting? Are you hungry? Are you eager, anxious? Are you sad? Keep scanning down. And now for the next 60 seconds, I want you to make the effort to simply focus on your breathing in and out. You will notice distracting thoughts will come through. Do not try to stop them. They are more like little butterflies that flit through your mind. Simply notice that I'm no longer thinking my breathing. Let go of the distracting thought and go back to breathing. In and out. And when you're ready, just open your eyes, stretch if you need to. Let me welcome you to the present moment. Some of you just got here. There were only six of you in the room when I, the service started, by the way, but I would only suggest now you're probably ready to pray. Mother Teresa said, God speaks in the silence of the heart. And I think it's very true that very often when we think about how do I find God, the first thing is to find ourselves. You are in this room. This is the place that you are now. God is found here. And sometimes you have to take some time to put yourself in that place as a preparation for prayer. My second suggestion will not surprise you, and it's going to center around relationships. Christ is found in relationship with other believers. You cannot, as I've already told you, you cannot 
do the Christian life alone. And Jesus has redefined our relationships and I think seeks for you to do the same thing. He said, uh, Jesus tells us, uh, he reminds us that where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. That means that this place that you're in this morning, this church, and I happen to know specifically about this church, this is filled with your brothers and your sisters, your uncles, aunts, nieces, and nephews. And what's really exciting to think about is that next week is a time, if you're not, it's a chance for you to really connect here with your family. You cannot do it alone. And I happen to know the other thing about a church this size, some of you are here to hide. Some of you have left a smaller church where everybody knows you, and I just kind of want to sneak in and sneak out. I like that it's hard to do that. There's always some friendly person out there, and they're, hi, just trying to sneak in. That's the way it should be. This is your family. We live in a time now where churches too often are seen as dispensers of religious goods and services. Matt was good last week, but, um, you know, if he doesn't light himself on fire next week, we're, we're moving on, something else. You cannot find Jesus that way. If you are surrounded primarily with good people, close friends, but they are not believers, it weakens your faith. You need to be with people that not only have Jesus in their boat, but can talk about that, that it kind of affects what we do and what we say. Nothing ridiculous. Nobody wants to be around that kind of self-righteous person that puts a verse on everything. I'm talking about where you know that person and you know that Jesus is speaking into her life, into his life, just like mine. You need that. It is how the Spirit uh, works in our lives, and it is how you find Jesus in the storm, especially in the storm. Did you notice that at the beginning of the story, they're in their boat, and there were other boats with them? Yeah, where, where'd those boats go? You ever seen that? Like, I'm kind of in a storm, and uh, whoa, where'd everybody go? You need the people that are connected to you, that are committed to you in the faith to continue to find Jesus in the storm. And my last suggestion, most of you already know. Jesus is found in His Word. How do you hear, how do you differentiate the inner voice in your head that's talking to you? Much of what you hear, and I don't mean a real voice, if it is an audible voice, would you just call me? We can talk about that, get that medication adjusted. But, but I'm talking about the, the things you say to yourself, the things that you're trying to differentiate. Is this God? You know how many Christians have told me well, God, He knows He just has to hit me over the head with a two-by-four. Which verse shows Jesus smacking a disciple with a two-by-four? Frankly, if you're like me, I wish He would. That whole gentle, winsome thing, I just wish He'd rough me up. He doesn't. I do. I rough me up a bunch. I will be roughing me up about this sermon probably, especially if I watch the video. But Jesus won't. He's okay with it. He doesn't realize, he's not bothered by the fact that I have a weird thing. I look like I'm losing my hair and I'm short. I don't know why that is. It's a video thing. But that's not, that's not God's voice. That's my voice. How do you differentiate? God's Word shows us who Jesus is and the God that He has saved us and connected us to. And there are certain things that you know that God, I think He's saying it to me. Nope, couldn't be because I know from His Word that's not like Him. It's not His character. Jesus is found in His Word. And I don't mean just a, an academic kind of learning, but also a kind of an eminent reading. What is He saying to me? Where is He? The writer of Hebrews again said, "'For the Word of God is alive and active.'" 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. It's an active thing. The Spirit of Christ speaks to us also through His Word, like in this room this morning. It sort of awakens and quickens something. So my hope is that we will seek and find the Spirit of Christ in the midst of your crises. If you're having that this morning, my prayer for you is that not that things will just get better quickly, but that you will find Him in the storm, that perhaps after going through many storms, you'll kind of begin to learn to kind of ride it out with a, just the slight smirk of, this is, this is going to be good. It's kind of exciting. I wonder where we're going with this a kind of a patience that overcomes this. And maybe a few of us will arrive at the point where we can lay down beside him and take a nap, even through the storm. So if you're not in a storm now, then I'll be praying for your storm to come. If you've just come out of one, congratulations. Let's pray for those that are in it and wait for our next one. But I want to pray for us above all that we would find Jesus in the midst of that storm, in a real way. What, what is he doing? What is he saying? Where is the comfort in that? Because I've seen Christians that find none, even some that I begin to wonder, is Jesus really in your boat at all? And those that have astounded me with what they have learned through their storm. So the prayer that I wanted us to do this morning is actually a prayer. It's an old prayer. It's known as St. Patrick's Breastplate. It's it's actually a protection prayer, if you will, and I hope that you'd pray it with me. So if you'll stand with me this morning, I will start by praying for us, and then at the right moment, if you would, let's pray this together. So I'll start, and then at the right moment, let's pray this for ourselves and together. Pray with me. Father God, I do thank you for this moment, for this present moment in this morning, in this church, in this place. Thank you for each person you have drawn to this room. And Lord, we also, above all, ask that you would be seen and found in the midst of storms. There are people in this room going through marriage storms, going through storms with their children, teenagers, personal storms, crises, and that threaten to distract us from your presence. And my prayer for all of us this morning is that, Jesus, you would be here and we would see you. And so together we pray, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the eye of everyone who sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Amen. You can have a seat. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.